0: Good afternoon, Dr. Dan Guerra here at Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Today is the 24th day of June. The year is 2021. We've been talking about senescence phenotype, cancer, and various mechanisms associated with the immune response that link up to not only the morbidity of late-stage, late-age cancer, but also many of the attributes associated with morbidity leading up to that as one of the leading causes of death, as well as autoimmune disorders and, of course, cardiovascular disease. So we're going to pick up where we left off last time, and I'm going to remind everyone about genomic damage. So recall that telomere dysfunction is, is really a major potentially oncogenic stimulus and it can elicit also a senescence response right so many cells undergo senescence in response to severely damaged DNA and this is where they are where the two um, phenomena are associated now that that damaged DNA can occur anywhere in the genome you can generate senescence in any genetic Uh, Element and still um, not have a major alteration in gene expression is what I'm saying. So it appears that damaged DNA is what leads the cell fate into senescence, not specific loci that are damaged. It's very important. So DNA double-stranded breaks, such as those induced by ionizing radiation, also, can uh, can occur because of topoisomerase mutations or inhibition, and indeed other chemical agents. All of that double DNA double-stranded breaks are very potent senescence inducers, as you might guess. If you've got both strands of the DNA broken because of one of these chemical agents, you're very likely once you re- once you repair that, uh, introduce mutations, too many mutations because both strands of DNA have been interrupted. So that makes sense for the cell to then move into a senescence phenotype. This is what happens more and more as a person ages. There are many types of cytotoxic chemotherapies, as you might guess, and they can be severe DNA damaging agents, um, and that will then induce the senescence And you can get this in also tumor cells, if you have an active tumor, and all the surrounding normal cells. So there's signaling associated with DNA damage, even to tumor cells as directed by a chemotherapy or by, for example, ionizing radiation. And this leads into comorbidities because of Uh, collateral damage of the tissue around the tumor. And this can lead to more problems, in fact, can enhance tumorigenesis. So one also mentioned mitogens and other kind of proliferative associated signals. Remember that cellular senescence can be induced by a strong chronic or even just an unbalanced mitogenic signal which would then signal, of course, cell division. Now, consistent with that is, is the overall process of actually suppressing tumorigenesis. Remember that senescence would be not so much contradictory to tumorigenesis, but certainly contrary to it in terms of cell fate. So best studied examples of this are actually senescence responses that are provoked by oncogenes. then you can see the two different pathways light up. So first report of what is now termed oncogen-induced senescence, or OIS, demonstrated that there's an oncogenic form of a certain protein called H-RAS, which chronically stimulates the mitogen-activated protein kinase. That's the MAP kinase signaling pathway. Likewise, cells will senesce in response to overexpression of certain growth factor receptors. One that I'm thinking about is the ERB2. Chronic stimulation by cytokines, such as interferon beta, also can generate the senescence response. Uh, Likewise, loss of P10, which is a phosphatase, and that actually truncates growth factor signaling Which is involved, of course, in cell division, and several other forms of chronic or even high intensity, what can be referred to generally as mitogenic stimulators. So, some oncogenes and strong mitogenic stimuli cause DNA damage and persistent DNA repair, DNA damage repair, DDR signaling. And that could be a consequence of inappropriate replicon firing and the replication fork collapse. When that occurs, that creates a DNA double-stranded break, you see. So the mechanism cannot, however, explain all of the senescence that you see in a cell. These are DNA damage-associated senescence. Obviously, senescence is also associated with the number of cell divisions. We talked about this last time, the Hayflick limit. This is not necessarily involved any DNA damage. Now, I want to bring your attention to a paper published in 2013 in Oncotarget, and I'll put the reference in the show notes. We know that cells with a damaged, or let's say damaged and then continuously unrepaired genome can be a threat uh, to the organism, and that's because it can generate either a senescence response or an oncogenic event. So there's several safeguard barriers responsible for eliminating that kind of damage, and it they, they roughly fall into two mechanisms. One is referred to as intrinsic, and you might think what that might be. That, of course, is directing cellular fate. So that's achieved through senescence, perhaps apoptosis. That's the intrinsic way of eliminating damaged cells. Then you have the extrinsic. And of course, you can probably guess what that's going to be. That's right. It's going to be directed by the immune response. So the the whole concept of an immune-stimulated clearance of senescent cells is a paradigm in in those particular uh, cellular beds. But there's a problem because the exact mechanism and the mode of mutual interplay between cellular senescence and then, of course, immune surveillance, um, well, that's still not completely worked out. As you might guess, there's several checkpoints involved. So research has been performed over the last, say, 25 years, maybe a little bit more than that has shown that there's an irreversible block that's laid into place for cell proliferation. And that can be triggered, but also sometimes bypassed in vitro when it's studied by the expression levels of many different genes, which means there's a lot of redundancy in the regulatory mechanisms that associate with that process of cell senescence. So you have a unifying feature of this senescence, which just seems to be associated with cell cycle checkpoints, as I just mentioned. These tend to block the cell cycle progression in very specific regions in the cycle, the G1S uh, interface, and then the G2M boundary. So checkpoint activation reflects a threshold of long-term expression commonly triggered by, yep, a persistent damage to the DNA, and then that response. So the DDR, DNA damage response, which involves not only the repair mechanism, but a very robust signaling process. So here you get protein inhibitors of the cyclin-dependent kinases. So remember, these these are called CDKs, cyclin-dependent kinases. So there are pathways to generate inhibitors to those kinases, therefore blocking cell cycle. And that's considered one of the pillars to the redundancy of the induction of what can be called the introduction and then maintenance of a senescence phenotype. How robust that response is is going to be typified by a manifestly imposed process of senescence that can even occur in tumor cells. And this is why it's being looked at, because it's considered a possible target for removing tumors. And there are two canonical senescence mediators that you've heard me talk about many times, P53 and the RB gene. Now, that all comes from understanding the regulatory circuits that are found in numerous signaling pathways that generate uh, mutual feedback inhibition processes. Now, what's involved here are cytokines, of course. Cytokines can be secreted by senescent cells, that's the SASP response. And here, they have a very important role in manifesting and then controlling the senescence phenotype. And that's because the signaling can actually engage autocrine and paracrine signaling. And what that will do ultimately is not only um, initiate, but reinforce cell cycle blockade. And this can be done again by that, secondary induction of CDKIs, right? uh, Remember those are cell cycle dependent kinases and the I stands for inhibitors. But it's also been shown that genotoxic stress is capable of inducing cellular senescence sense right? Now that kind of response, genotoxic stress inducing cellular senescence, can be associated with TGF-beta, interleukin-1-beta, but not the very potent pro-inflammatory cytokine known as IL-6. So you've got TGF-beta and interleukin-1-beta, which are on their own right, pro-inflammatory cytokines. And those are the ones responsible for a a process known as bystander senescence of uh, human cellular lineages. So, for example, if you expose fibroblasts in vitro now to either of those two cytokines, TGF-beta and Leukin-1-beta, you're going to get a persistent DNA DNA damage repair direction, and that's going to originate from increased cellular levels of reactive oxygen generation. So the production of the ROS, the reactive oxygen in the cells, during an inflammatory response associated with those two cytokines, actually then uh, culminates in the aging phenotype. And indeed, it's believed that this is, if not directly associated, highly correlated with age-dependent morbidity and diseases. So there's a protein called NOX4, I've talked about in the past. Now, that is just one member of a huge family of NADPH oxidase enzymes. And it's known that those enzymes, NADPH oxidases, control the production of reactive oxygen, especially superoxide, which which forms to induce DNA damage. And then, of course, following that is sequalic premature senescence. So it was shown that when you knock down this NOX-4 isoform of NADPH oxidase, you get a decreased RAS-dependent DDR, DNA damage repair response. So that RAS-induced senescence seems to be mediated via NOX-4, and then by doing some uh, uh, controlled experiments, NOX-1, another NADPH oxidase, is also involved. And when D, when you overexpress both of the gene, those genes for those proteins, those oxidations, you will induce a fully fluorid senescence that is follow, that, that follows the activated DNA damage repair response. This is where these things are hooked together. So again, this is, this is basically you have immune cells generating cytokines like interferon gamma and TNF alpha. And then you have primary senescent cells, which are, uh, again, they, they have the SASP phenotype, okay? Uh, senescence associated secretory phenotype, SASP. And what those primary senescent cells are going to do are generate their own interleukin 1 beta and TGF beta. Immune cells making interferon gamma, TNF alpha. Primary senescent cells making, making the SASP uh, profile for cytokines. IL-1 beta, and TGF beta. Now, what that will do to a bystander, otherwise senescent cell, is it'll increase the uh, ratio of NF-kappa B to NOx4. That will then induce an increase in reactive oxygen, which will cause DNA damage, which will then generate CDK inhibitors and what you'll get is cell cycle arrest and senescence, okay? So that's the bystander um, phenotype when immune cells and primary senescent cells control the secondary senescent cells by generating a cell cycle arrest and then full-blown senescence. Again, working with altering the ratio of NF-kappa-B to NOx4, the ADPH oxidase, which is going to increase reactive oxygen, which is going to cause DNA damage, which is then going to turn on the CDKIs. And again, that's going to do cell cycle arrest because inhibition of the uh, cell cycle dependent kinases will inhibit cell cycle. And then you're going to fall right into the senescent phenotype, generating now a new SASP cell lineage. Yeah. So this is a process of bystander. That's why it's really important to understand the signaling phenomena here. Right? So a lot of other things can act as inducers of this process, that is the process of oncogenesis. So if you use the um, estrogen um, 2-methoxyestradiol, that will act as a mitogen and it will um, function at the, it, it actually will block the mitogen activation, that methoxyestradiol, of either PIRC1-2 or AKT. Now, if that happens, if you block the PERC1-2, you will not lead to cyclin D um, activation. Likewise, if you block AKT, that would block the P27-KIP1 protein. So when that happens, P27 KIP1 cannot block downstream cyclins, you see? So, what you get then, because of these, all, because of uh, the mitogen activation of these two systems, which can be inhibited by this estradiol, 2 methoxyestradiol, but this is otherwise a mitogen uh, event, you're going to get then cell cycle progress, mitosis, then cytokinesis, and finally cell proliferation. Various, various places along that pathway, this 2 can block that oncogenic process. And the mitotic event, of course, has to do with tubulin reorganization. And that, of course, is necessary for the initiation of spindle fiber function. And then the cytokinesis requires the row A rock pathway. Uh, And that's, of course, the required enzymatic uh, components for cell cleavage, hence cytokinesis. All of that leading to, ultimately, cell proliferation. So I want you to understand that cell senescence entails a widespread change in entire chromatin organization. And that will include the formation of a repressive heterochromatin Right? That means you're going to get deacetylation. And that's going to occur because it's throughout the chromatin at several distinct loci. Now, because they're at several distinct loci, some of those are going to encode pro-proliferative genes, right? So perturbations to the epigenome, which is what we're dealing with here, can then, of course, elicit the senescence response, so other induces, for example, suboptimal levels of CMYK or P300 histone acetyltransferase transferase activity may act by perturbing chromatin reorganization, thus inducing the P16-Inc4A. So under some circumstances, epigenomic perturbations can elicit, of course, the DNA damage repair mechanism even in the absence of physical DNA damage, overriding then that circuit. So for example, histone deacetylase inhibitors activate the DDR protein that we've talked many times before in the past. It's called, that protein's called ATM, which to remind you is the ataxia telangiectasia mutated protein. That's the ATM. That can initiate a DNA damage repair response Without the DNA damage, so you've got euchromatin, which has, uh, which is fully active chromatin, right? It's acetylated. Then, if you get histone, and that, and that acetylation is caused by histone acetyltransferases, the Hat uh, protein, that will allow for transcriptional activators and transcriptional factors to bind and allow for DNA um, transcription, right? Now. You also are going to have in that kind of euchromatin, a hyperacetylated histone tail on those lysine residues. So the euchromatin then is going to be less condensed. It's going to be occurring on more distal to where the chromatin is, so on the chromosomal arms. It's going to, because of that, have unique DNA sequences, which tend to be rich in open reading frames, meaning gene uh, common. That's going to be replicated that euchromatin throughout the S phase. Now, the S phase isn't transcription. The S phase is the synthesis phase of the, of the next daughter strand of the full genome, right? Recombination also occurs during, the, during this process if meiosis is occurring. Now, the heterochromatin is totally different. You've got a hypoacetylated and methylated histone-3-lysine-9 histone tail, as opposed to the hypoacetylated, which is an open chromatin structure. Here, of course, you have highly condensed chromatin. That tends to center at the centromeres and at the telomeres. It contains more repetitive non-coding sequences, so it's gene deficient and it replicates usually in the late S phase, and there's never any kind of meiotic recombination there. So you get to that in the distinction how epigenetic profiling can also alter gene expression, therefore the senescence phenotype, by switching back and forth between euchromatin and heterochromatin because of the acetylation methylation patterning of the histones associated with that DNA. Okay. So I want to uh, now, I think, just give you some basic characteristics of senescent cells. You can ask the question, what does the senes- senescent cell look like, right? So in addition to the obvious, which means um, no more cell growth, so you have a, basically a permanent growth arrest you have a lot of molecular biomarkers that are linked to it, and these actually help you identify those senescent cells. But just like this growth arrest, there isn't anything characteristically exclusive to the senescent state. Likewise, not all senescent cells will display all the senescence markers at the same time. So that gives you senescent cells that are generally identified by a a tremendous constellation of physicochemical characteristics. Because of the defining characteristic of a senescent cell is always arrested growth, that becomes a necessary but really an inefficient biomarker for the senescent cells. That's because of the potential absence of the proliferation markers, which will proliferate the senescence phenotype. So in addition to all that, senescent cells generally increase in size, so they enlarge, and they can even double, and that, that's an increase in size, that's not a division, and they can double in volume because of that. And if they're adherent, what they'll look like under microscopy is a flattened morphological phenotype. So it gives you a little bit more understanding what senescent cells might look like. So another important feature of many senescent cells is, of course, the SASP, something we've been talking a great deal about. Remember, the SASP is probably arguably the most striking feature of the senescent cell because it has the potential, because of what phenotype it offers or obtains, to explain the role of all the cellular senescent processes that are found in an organismal aging phenotype. Hence, it generates what can be described as age-related pathophysiology. That's what SASP does. So SASP components include a large number of cytokines, chemokines, growth factors, transcription factors, and, of course, lipases and proteases. Whereas some SAS factors are known, or at least they're suspected to fuel deleterious effects of senescent cells, other factors, or maybe even the same ones at different concentrations or expressed at different time intervals, um, can actually give a beneficial effect to the senescent phenotype, thus inhibiting, for example, oncogenesis. So the SAS can stimulate cell proliferation When it does so, it has proteins called growth-regulated oncogenes, or GROs. You also have another really important gene uh, replica called amphiregulin, and these can stimulate, in fact, also new blood vessel formation, and that will then give proteins such as VEGF the uh, leg up to be able to... To, to promote this cell proliferation, VEGF being a major factor for um, cell proliferation, leading sometimes potentially to, of course, ophogenesis. Remember, VEGF is the vascular endothelial growth factor. Now, having said all of this, SASP also includes proteins that have complex effect on the cells, as I was alluding to. For example, you have a, a biphasic patterning with the protein called the Wint modulator, And the Wnt modulator protein specifically that has been studied is the SFRP1. And if you don't like that acronym, how about secreted frizzled related protein one, which is what it stands for. That protein, SFRP1, uh, which is a a Wnt modulator, Wnt being a transcription factor. And and of course, our old friend interleukin-6, Will stimulate or inhibit further wind signaling and therefore self proliferation, respectively. Okay, that depends on something very important, and that is the physiological context of that signaling. And of course, that means receptors. So, chronic wind signaling can drive both differentiated and stem cells, so fully differentiated and stem cells, which are not differentiated, directly into senescence. Okay. So I think I'm going to stop there. I think I've given you some reasonable cell pathophysiology. We've talked about some genes that are involved in the process of senescence. We talked about DNA damage repair being a critical factor and associated between uh, getting a senescence phenotype, uh, an apoptotic phenotype, or even a proliferative phenotype. And I want you to keep all those things in mind as we move forward, because we're now getting into the, the real um, dark corners of the aging process, way down deep into the molecular regions, understanding which genes are expressed, which are turned off and on, and also some of the fine structure of the chromatin, which is extremely important to understand senescence, particularly in eukaryotic cells, particularly in the human uh, genome. So I'm gonna say goodbye for now. This is Dr. Dan Guerra, coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios On this, the 24th of June, um, 2021. Bye for now.